Thanks for listening to the Cross Church Podcast. This message was presented on Sunday, September 29th, 2019, and is the last in our series, This Is My Story. You may be interested in checking out our cardboard testimonies, which took place right after the message. You can find those videos on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page. We've been praying, uh, really praying diligently, uh, is that everybody who calls himself or herself a Christian, I mean a real Christian, will be prepared and ready to do exactly what Jesus called us to do. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you know, I mean a real Christian, then you know that your responsibility is to share your faith with others, to tell others, to invite people to come and learn uh, and discover the God that you love. Would you say amen to that? It's still strongest over here. And... Here, if you read your Bible, and I'm praying that you do read your Bible, uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed, but if you read your Bible, you'll know, uh, even going through the Old Testament, that God has called us to be light to this world. Does everybody understand that? We read this particularly in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 60 verse 3 says that we are a light to the nations. We are a light. That means that we are, are revealing God, and it's through Christ, it's through, through our God that people find life, find eternal life, find hope, find abundant life. That is really what God has called us to do. When you move to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and even in Acts, we find Jesus giving us a commission to go into all the world and be witnesses, to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be sitting here today and saying, well, Pastor Alan, what exactly is the good news about Jesus Christ? Uh, another word for good news is gospel. You may have heard that term and wondered, what on earth does gospel mean? Well, very simply, the gospel is the story of Jesus Christ leaving the realms of heaven, the realms of glory, coming to this earth as a baby. We celebrate Christmas, right? Hello, anybody celebrate Christmas here? It's in, it's in 50 days, in case you're wondering. 50, 50 shopping days left till Christmas. Jesus comes to this earth. And why does he come here? He comes to show us. Now, this is really important, because most of us, you're ready, you're jumping, jumping to the cross. He came to die for us. But before he came to die for us, he came to live for us. What do I mean by that? Jesus came to this earth to show us how to live. Because left to our own devices, we don't know how to live. He's a pastor, and I know how to live. I, you eat, and you drink, you breathe air, and you get dressed, you find a job. And No, no, I'm not talking about existing. I'm talking about living about becoming all that God wants you to be, to, to fulfill God's purpose for your life. And this is what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says that you and I are masterpieces. You've heard me say this before. Created for God's purpose, to do something great in this life. Jesus came to show us how to live, and then he came to die for us. He came to teach us who God is. He came to reveal God to us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know who God is because you know me. 
By the way, that's why in, in our church we try to teach you how to follow Jesus because that's what it means to be a real Christian. And by the way, the thing that Jesus tells us to do then is to tell people our story. In other words, tell people what the Lord has done for me. What has the Lord done for you? Jesus came to this earth. He showed us how to live. He taught us what God's will is. He showed God to us. Then he died for us. Why did he die? Because we're all sinners and we need our sins washed away. And guess who did it for us? Jesus did. Hallelujah. Okay, we're moving towards Pentecostal. This is good. Jesus came and washed away our sins. And you say, well, Pastor Alan, how do I know he's done that for me? Well, that's a very good question. You have to believe. What do I have to believe? You have to believe in Jesus that he loves you and that Jesus came to die for you. That's what you have to believe. And you've got to say, God, I believe you died for me. And Jesus, I accept that you are my Savior. You are my Lord. And thank you for revealing yourself to me, O oh God. And I'm going to tell you something this morning, that God reveals himself to all who are looking, all who are seeking, all who are hungry, all who thirst, God will reveal himself to you. Let me tell you the story this morning about Cornelius. Cornelius was a, a Roman centurion. He was in the Italian re, uh, regiment in the city of Caesarea. And one day uh, he was praying and an angel appeared to him. Now, just in case you're, uh, you wonder what it looks like, here it is. This is a snapshot of when, when he was praying, and the angel appeared to him. Now, before we go any further, let me just explain something to you. Cornelius is, is not Jewish, and he's not Christian. He's what we call a Gentile, or as the Jewish people might say, he is a pagan, definitely a Gentile. He's, he's not Jewish. Now, they, the thing that, that, the reason I want to show you this picture is because this painting uh, was done in the uh, 15th century by a Dutch painter. His name is Gerbrand van den Eckhout. I think I said it perfectly. And, and, and the thing that you need to know is that, that anybody who looked at this painting during that time would know what it was about. And the reason why is because the Western world, in case you don't know it, was for, for centuries was influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a time when everybody knew, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was in my lifetime. There was a time when everybody knew who Jesus was, who God was. They would know many of the stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But, but sadly, sadly, we live in a day and an age when we, uh, we see a, an end to, to Christian understanding or to Christian influence. In fact, some philosophers say that we are living in a post-Christian or post-modern world. It's a world that knows nothing about Christ, which is shocking because we're talking now about hundreds and hundreds of years of a biblical and Christian influence on culture and society. If ever there's a time when the church needed to rise up and tell people about Jesus, I'm telling you, it's right now in 2019. Amen? 
There's a world out there right now waiting for you to go and share your story. When's the last time you went to someone and said, can I share my story with you? This is what we do as believers. So here's, here's Cornelius. He is a devout man. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 7. He's a devout, God-fearing man, and so is everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. And one afternoon at about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. And the angel went on to say, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa, or Joppa, and summon a man named Simon Peter. And so he sent his men looking for Peter. Very interesting. This, he's, this is a man who obviously is a religious man. And everybody would look at him and say, now here is a good man. Keep that in mind, because we've got a problem. But we're going to answer that in just a moment. But I have another question I want to throw at you. Uh, Why does the angel tell Cornelius to get Peter? Why not Philip? In case you weren't here a few weeks ago, and we were in Acts chapter 8, and we were talking about the conversion story of the eunuch from Ethiopia. And the Bible tells us that Philip is preaching the gospel to, to this one man, this Ethiopian eunuch who's in his carriage. And a very long story, just long. <laughs> After Philip is done sharing the gospel with the eunuch, the eunuch gets baptized. And then instantly the Bible says he's transported away. That is, Philip is transported away. And he ends up in a town called Ozotus. And here's what it says in verse 40 of chapter 8. Philip preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Well, that's where where the centurion is. Now, why wouldn't God say, well, we'll use Philip since Philip's in the same town? And, And here's where it all gets really interesting. God wants to meet Cornelius. God wants to save Cornelius. God wants to convert Cornelius. But Peter also needs to be converted. And this is what this is about. It's a conversion story of two people, of Peter and Cornelius. Now, some of you sharp ones will say, well, hold on a minute. Peter was a convert already. Yeah, but he needed further converting. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. Let's look at Cornelius first. The Bible says he's a devout, God-fearing man. The technical term for for Cornelius is that he is a proselyte of the gate. Now, that's someone who believes in the God of Israel. He aligns himself with the Jewish uh, covenant, but not 100%. He believes in the monotheistic God of the Jews, and he rejects the Roman pantheon of the gods. Cornelius is able to attend at synagogue, but he cannot go to the sacrifices. If you're going to go to the sacrifices, then you have to be not just the proselyte of the gate, but now you have to be the proselyte of the righteous. That simply means that you have to be circumcised. So we understand then why Cornelius was not too crazy about being a proselyte of the gate. He was happy to 
to stick to that, he was not too crazy about being a proselyte of the righteous. In his mind, that's good enough. He prayed regularly, that's what the Bible says. He gave generously to the poor. And look at this, he even led his whole household to be God-fearing. Now, if anybody is gonna be called a righteous man, a good man, if anybody's gonna be called a Christian, you would think it would be Cornelius. But the answer, my friend, is no. He has not arrived. He's not complete because he was not converted. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now because here's what I know. There are many good people who go to church. There are many people who support the church, many people who give generously to, 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 the, to the workings of the church and they give generously to missions and they give generously wherever there's a need and they help the poor and they even go on missions trips. They teach Sunday school. Some are even board members. Some are, are elders in positions of leadership in the church. And I've known many over the years and they're not converted Here's what I am praying will happen in our church. I'm praying that everybody who comes to church here, everybody who claims this as their church home, will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he or she is actually converted. You say, Pastor Sean, why are you using that word converted? Well, if you did what I asked you to do, if you read the book of Acts, you'll find that that word's used throughout Acts. To be converted means that you are born again, that you are actually become a Christian. It means that your sins are washed away. It means that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what a convert is. And the thing that, that troubles me deeply is that there's so many people today going to church. They've been baptized. There may be members of a church but they're not converted. I, I'm praying that the Spirit of God will shine his light on your heart and reveal to you the truth. Now you say, maybe you're sitting here thinking, Pastor Allen, you are so judgmental. Listen, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. That is not, that is not my job. Even Jesus did not come to judge or to condemn. My job is to communicate truth to you, the truth that will set you free, the truth that will liberate you. And so you need to know in your heart, right here, right now, whether or not you know that you are truly converted. Why? Because God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for, a good, for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. You see, there's a lot of people who have this notion, have this idea that you can win your way into heaven, you can earn your way, that you can work hard enough to get into heaven. How many know today that your good works do not get you into heaven? Salvation is not a reward. You can't say, Jesus, look how much money I gave. Nobody's given as much as me. So if anybody deserves to get into heaven, it's me. 
That's what a lot of people think. Or here's what they'll do. They'll say, well, you know, compared to my brother, I deserve to get into heaven. Compared to other people, I mean, I'm a good person. And the Bible says, no, you're not. In fact, the Bible declares that you are sinful. And I know right now this is very offensive. Here's what is troubling me about church in 2019. In 2019, churches have been trying to be relevant to this generation, trying not to offend anybody of this generation. Isn't that right? This is why Ravi Zacharias recently said that the gospel is not being preached now in most mainline denominations. Why is that? Because the, the Bible, truth, Jesus is an offense. Jesus offends people. Does everybody get that today? You maybe didn't know that. You thought, well, I, gentle Jesus, oh, he's my buddy, he's my friend, he's my pal. You read, read the end of Luke chapter 12, and what does it say? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. If you think I came to bring peace, you are, you are sadly mistaken. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Families are going to be divided over me. That's what Jesus said. You read that yourself, Luke chapter 12. You'll be two in the family, will be against three in the family. Husband will be against wife, and, and children will be against parents, and, and there's going to be division over Christ. Why? Because the truth is an offense. It offends us. It offends our pride. Nobody's going to tell me that I'm a sinner. How dare you tell me I'm a sinner? Now, here's, here's, here's what the church is doing today that is so wrong. We're trying not to be offensive. We're trying to water it down. We try to just to tell stories and try to make you feel good so when you go from here, you have the warm fuzzies or whatever you call it. We try to, we try to water it down in such a way that we give you good, good ideas and good value system and, and, uh, and good principles to have a happy marriage and a happy family life. Uh, let me tell you what our major problem is. It's not that you don't have marriage skills or parenting skills. The problem is, is that you are selfish and that you are, are gripped by sin and what you need to do is come humbly to Jesus Christ, confess your sin, and stop being so selfish. When you stop being selfish is the day when you're going to be the best husband that you can be. When you stop being selfish, that's when you're going to be the best parent that you can be. Our sin is what destroys everything in our lives. Do you understand that today? It just destroyed, it destroyed Adam and Eve's lives. And it was their selfishness, their pride, their hunger, their desire to be like God. Nothing's changed. We're still the same. And we need to come humbly to Jesus Christ and confess our sin and know the cleansing power of God in our lives who enables them to be the best husband, the best wife, the best worker, the best employee, the best boss. That's the power of the gospel to transform us. A saint to Mary Crager, my friend, my 101-year-old friend. Mary, 
the church in the West is in big trouble because we have come to the place where we believe that, that, that becoming a Christian is a transaction. And without skipping a beat, this 101-year-old brain of hers says, no, it's not a transaction, it's a transformation. I just, I, I said, I gotta get my computer out and I'm gonna take notes from you. <laughs> right on the money, dear. That's exactly right. If you think all I gotta do is say a sinner's prayer and everything's good and I'm going to heaven, then you don't get it at all. If you're gonna be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not just a transaction, it's transformation. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in you richly and changes the way you think, changes the way you live, changes the way that you speak. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You are transformed. You don't just say a sinner's prayer and say, good, I'm going to heaven, I'm escaping hell. If you think Christianity is a fire escape insurance, then you don't get it at all. I'm not condemning or judging anybody here today. I'm preaching to you the gospel that will liberate you, that will set you free, that will guarantee that someday you're going to heaven. Hallelujah, that's what this is all about. So here's Cornelius, a good man, prays regularly, gives to the poor, but he's not converted because your good works are not the thing that gets you to heaven. What you need to do is you need to believe. You need to put your faith in Jesus, amen? Amen. Okay, if you're not saying amen, I can't go further. I gotta keep on hammering at this. Can I move on? Good. Hallelujah. Boy, we're getting real Pentecostal now. I think we're going to the edge now. <laughs> so, so while Cornelius has got this visitation from the angel, Peter, at the exact same time, not Philip, but Peter, because, because God wants Peter to see Cornelius, because Peter needs to go to Cornelius. That's how God works, by the way. It's lots of times the way God works doesn't make sense to us. God, you'll save a lot of money in the kingdom if you just send Philip. No, Philip, Peter's got to go because I got to do a work in Peter's life. Think about that for a moment. God wants to use you to win somebody for Christ for your sake. Think about that. And so that's what happens here. So here's Peter. All of a sudden he gets this vision. And it's a sheet coming down from heaven full of unclean animals. Now you say, what on earth is this about? Well, if you read your Bible like I asked you to, you would know about this because it's, it's in the Pentateuch. It's in the first five books of the Bible. And it talks about in the first five books of the Bible all the unclean animals that Jewish people cannot eat. And so Peter gets this vision of all these unclean animals coming down in a sheet, and then God says to him, Peter, eat. Peter is absolutely horrified. God, do you know what you're saying? Now think about that. God, do you know what you're saying? Oh, sorry, Peter, I mixed up, I mixed up on this. How many know God's not sitting in heaven mixed up? How many know God knows exactly what he's doing? Peter, eat. And you know what he said? Peter says, no, Lord. Hold on a minute here. If you're calling him Lord, you don't say no to your Lord. You always, always say yes, Right? Because that, by definition, is what a Lord is. A Lord is a master. You do what the master says every time. But Peter says, no, Lord. And God said, do it. 
And Peter says again, no. And then three times Peter has this vision. Three times God tells him to eat. And here's what it says. Peter was, this is verse 17 of chapter 10. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. That's where Peter was staying. And standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Now go, uh, get up, go downstairs, and go to them without hesitation. Without hesitation. Hey, when the Spirit of God speaks to you and tells you to go speak to somebody, without hesitation, move in there and do what God's telling you to do. God gives you that window of opportunity and you've got to move in the moment he tells you to do it. Without hesitation. And God says to Peter, don't worry, I have sent them. Peter is really perplexed because these are not Jews. These are Gentiles. And every Jew knows that Gentiles are the scum of the earth. Peter told Cornelius, you know it's against our law for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home. You know that, don't you? You know that we're not allowed to associate with you. And then Peter said, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. The fact of the matter is, folks, if there are people in that sheet, it'd be Gentiles like Cornelius. Cornelius would have been one of the people that was in that sheet, and all of a sudden, all the dots were connected, and Peter understood what God was saying. The Jewish people thought there was no hope for the Gentiles, and God now is declaring to Peter, through a vision and now through the visitation of these Gentiles, that his his heart is now for the whole world. And even as Peter was preaching the gospel to these non-Jewish people, they believed. And it says, even as he was preaching and saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message, and they spoke in tongues. Now, I want you to see Peter. Peter has no clue what's going on. You think, well, the, Peter, the Pope is here. The Pope is here to get everything sorted out and get all good Cornelius and his household all sorted out and to make his declaration. Peter is the most confused person in the room. He's there. Just, what is going on here? Well, they're speaking in tongues. This is impossible. Jewish people spoke on to- in tongues in Acts chapter 2. And Samaritans spoke in tongues in, in Acts chapter 8. But at least the Samaritans are half Jewish. But now Gentiles are speaking in tongues. Are you telling me that the spirit of the living God has fallen on all people? Yes, that's what Acts chapter 1-8 is all about. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see the fulfillment of this prophecy and of this command by Acts chapter 10. It's absolutely thrilling. And look what it says here. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed. 
The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Have you ever heard of anything so crazy in all your life? And how do they know? For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Wow! Then Peter asked this question. This is wonderful. Verse 47. Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Wow, folks, what you're seeing here now is the work, the glorious and sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me just say this to you. If there's anybody here who, is, who believes that they have come to full repentance, you have come and you've surrendered your life to Christ and you, you're saying, I know that I've been converted. I know that I am, I've become a Christian. If you, if you know that, then I want you to phone the church or email the church and say, I'm ready to get baptized. We already have a list of people who've signed up and said, I want this. Maybe you're baptized as a child, and it was not out of faith. It was just something that your parents did, or maybe something you're forced to do, or something that was part of the religious ritual that you went through. But now you know you're converted. I want you to send to info at crosschurch.ca or phone the church and say, I'm ready to be baptized. Because that's what you do when you've surrendered your life to Christ. Peter, I said, was converted. He said, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, the church by Acts chapter 10 has, give, has, has risen to a whole new level. The church now is not just for Jews, it's for people throughout the world. And I'm going to tell you right now, Peter thought it was just for Jewish people, but he is now converted. That is, his mind is converted. He's been converted from being a Jewish Christian to being a global Christian. And I'm going to tell you right now, every one of us here today needs to be converted like that. You need to understand that we have a job to do. That's why Cross Church is involved in Burundi. This is why, God willing, we'll be going up north next year. Andrew uh, Thunder has been talking about this, but we need to bring this gospel to a broken hurt and hurting world. Some of us here today need to be converted from small-mindedness, from selfishness. You and I need to understand that we are global Christians and we have a job to bring the message to all people. Would you say amen to that? And if you want info at crosschurch.ca, say, Pastor Allen, I'm in. I want to go. Let me quickly close with the conversion of Cornelius. I pray that every single person here, first of all, will be converted the way Peter was, that you will become global Christians and understand your role, your responsibility to bring the gospel to all people. But here's Cornelius. Let's look quickly look at him. And I'm praying that God will speak to your heart. As good as Cornelius is, as devout as he was, as God-fearing as he was, as much as he prayed, and as, as generous as he was, and as, as godly a leader in his home that he was, he still need to be converted. I pray today that you will know that you are indeed converted. I don't want to lose anybody. When I stand before the Lord, I'm praying that all of Cross Church will be standing together worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I don't want to lose anybody. I want everybody to be there because there's going to be a party. 
and I want everybody to be at the party. Amen? And by the way, it's not my party. It's, it's the Lamb's party, Jesus' party. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. I'm going to be there, I, and, and you've been given invitations. I hope you'll be there. But you have to be converted. This Cornelius, he was sincere in his faith. But I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't enough. How many know today being sincere is not enough? I'm going to tell you that is the prevailing pro, uh, uh, philosophy of people of our day and age. Why would you mess with people's religion? Let them believe what they want to believe. As long as they're sincere in their belief, let them be. Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Folks, it's the apex of pride. Don't try to change other people. Well, let me just put it to you like this. This is a kind of an extreme example. What happens if a cannibal moves in next door to you? You know what a cannibal is? That's part of their religion is that they eat people. What happens if this cannibal who's moved in next door to you is sincere in his belief? What happens when you're, when you're shaking hands with your new neighbor, the cannibal, and rather than looking at your eye, he's eyeing up your children? Mmm, succulent little bits and pieces here. Sincerity is absolutely meaningless if it's not coupled with truth. Truth is what sets you free. Truth is what determines whether you're going to heaven or not. Not, not sincerity. And so, if you and I are intellectually honest, we're going to wrestle with the truth. We are going to take a hold of this. We are going to read it. We're going to study it. We're going to understand it. And we're going to be honest about our wrestling with the truth. So here's the thing. The sincerity of Cornelius is not enough. Listen, Cornelius needed someone to come and tell him the truth. Somebody who would preach to him. Somebody who would be clear about what is the will of God. So we've got angels going on. We've got visions. We've got dreams. We've got the supernatural but none of it is enough. We still need a preacher. We still need someone to come and tell the story. And that, my friends, is something you and I need to understand. God has called you and me to tell the story about Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you think, oh, Pastor Ron, I don't have my degree. I, don't have, I haven't been to Bible college. I, I, don't, I haven't read a lot of books. Listen, if you have a walk with Jesus and you know him and he's changed your life, you've got a story to tell. There's a world waiting for you to tell the story. And listen, here's something else that I hear a lot. You know, if we just love people, we just have to love them. Do you know that you can love people to death? You, yes, love them by all means. But they still need you to tell them. They still need to hear the truth. Be loving. Be gentle, be kind, be Christian. But you still have to tell them because listen to this, it's gonna blow your mind. Love is not enough. At least not the love that you and I understand. Real love, listen to this, real love speaks the truth in love. That's what real love is. 
What else can we learn from Cornelius real quickly? And I'm going to close with this. I I can't save anyone. Did you hear that? I can't save anybody. As much as I want to, as much as I try, as much as I've gone to conferences and read books and listened to, this, listened to sermons and listened to, to conferences and seminars and how to, how to get people to become Christians, I can't save anybody. And I can't force anybody to be saved. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is, I believe, the fundamental problem with the way we're doing church today in North America. Because we believe, we think, it's our job to get people saved. I'm going to tell you right now, I have never yet met somebody who was saved because they had a good debate or good argument with a Christian. I've never, I've never, I've never met anybody who's had an all full-out debate, an argument, arguing about whether or not Christianity is real or not. I've never heard somebody argue, 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 and all of a sudden say, okay, I give, I get it, I'm a Christian. Never have I ever seen that. And I can try to get you to say the four spiritual laws. If you, maybe you know what that is. It was big in the 80s. Four laws, and, if, and at the end of it, you say to the person, is there any reason why you can't accept Jesus into your life? And the person says, no. Good. Well, then you're a Christian. Sign on the dotted line. I'll say a prayer. Repeat it after me. And we've, the transaction is done. That's not how it works. Here's here's what you need to know today. Your job and my job is not to worry about offending people because I'm going to tell you Jesus is an offense. Read it yourself. You can read it yourself. Luke chapter 12. Just read it as soon as we're done. The truth is an offense. But here's what you need to know. It's truth that sets people free. It's people People, people who give into the truth, that understand the truth, that love the truth, they're the ones that discover eternal life. They're the ones that discover the abundant life that comes through Christ. So I, I'm not worried about offending anybody here today. If you're visiting and I offended you, I'm sorry that I offended you, but I'm not sorry that I told you the truth. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you got cancer, you're going to die. And it's say, I'm going to a different doctor. You shouldn't talk to me like that. You see how absurd that is, don't you? You say, thank you for telling me the truth. Is there hope? Yes, let's get you into treatment immediately, and we'll get the job done. Folks, this is what godly truth is all about. It's about your transformation. I can't save anyone. But I can tell you the spirit and the power of the living God is at work. And some of you are in church today because God wanted you to be here to hear exactly what I'm saying. And what you do with this is, is up to you and God. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you, Jesus, that you have saved so many of us here. And there's some who are still yet to be saved. We pray in Jesus' name that you would touch our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits, O oh God, to come in surrender to you, to surrender to the truth that will set us free.